You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department, AMED. Your host is trauma surgeon Dr. John Armstrong. Dr. Armstrong is a former Army colonel who served as director of the U.S. Army Trauma Training Center in Miami, Florida, and chair of the ACS Army Committee on Trauma. Defining the crossroads of biology and artificial technology to revitalize the human spirit, our guest is Colonel and Dr. Jeffrey Ling, neurocritical care specialist and program manager at DARPA. Welcome, Dr. Ling. Thank you, Dr. Armstrong. Well, Dr. Ling, you are privileged to serve as a project manager at DARPA. What is DARPA, and what is your role as a project manager? Uh, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Uh, it's an agency that was started in the late 1950s in response to Sputnik. And the charge of DARPA is very simple. It is to conduct and support research that will maintain the United States' technical superiority. So at DARPA, our job is, in essence, to see what the extreme edge of scientific and engineering knowledge is, and then to leverage that into pushing that envelope even further out. So as a project manager, or a program manager, as we call it at DARPA, uh, our job is actually to invent programs to do just that. Our job is to find out where the leading edge of science is, no matter where it may be, physics, math, biology, medicine, and then to go ahead and see how we can push back that frontier even further so as to improve the capabilities and the survival of our young men and women who are out on the front lines doing the hard job. So what have some of the contributions from DARPA been that might be affecting our lives today? DARPA has a very storied tradition. Uh, Much of it is in uh, aerospace, but I suppose the greatest contribution that DARPA has made to everybody is the Internet. The original Internet came about as an idea of having Defense Department computers talking to each other, and at that time it was actually known as the ARPANET, or the Advanced Research Project Agencies network. So the ARPANET, in fact, was the very first iteration of what is now known as the Internet. Other major accomplishments are night optical vision goggles, titanium steel, unmanned aerial vehicles, the M16 rifle, and for you, Dr. Armstrong, a trauma surgeon, the fast scan ultrasound, handheld ultrasound, was actually a DARPA project as well. I was going to say, you had me at ARPANET. That's a pretty impressive product line coming out of DARPA. Well, I know that you are the program manager for a variety of projects, and one in particular that is thrilling, and that has to do with the revolutionary prosthetic arms. What's that all about? Well, it comes out of a need, and the need is to basically respond to the injuries that we're seeing in the current global war on terrorism. A lot of young men and women, as you know, on the front lines are getting hurt. The good news is, because of advances in body armor and advances in medical care, their survival rate is unparalleled, just absolutely unparalleled. So now we can, as physicians, we're able to turn our attention now towards not just survival, but also restoring their lives, giving them back function. And so one of the most debilitating injuries that you can get is, of course, loss of your arm and hands, because that is the tool by which we interact with the world. The prosthetic legs are much more simple devices, because you don't have to stand and run and walk with those. Those are very good. 
the ones that we have now. And soldiers and, you know, airmen can return to duty with the prosthetic limbs that are currently available. In fact, they can even go back to airborne duty, go back to flying airplanes. We want to do the same with someone who's lost their arms and their hands. And that's a much more daunting task because, as you know, when you look at your own hand, how complex that is. And there's really no bit of machinery that's available right now that can do what your hands do for you in, sense, in, the, in terms of being able to pick things up, manipulate the environment, play the piano, make music, that sort of thing. You look at your hand, it really is a remarkable device. So that is the goal of the revolutionizing prosthesis program is to restore hands and arms to those who have lost them to the point where if they want to, they could return to full active duty. Well, that's an impressive goal. Uh, to help our listeners understand where this is going, what's the current status of prosthetic arms? The best arm that you can get in terms of functionality is a hook. And if you're very lucky, you'll get a hook that can open and close, and that's it. That is the very, very best end terminal device or prosthetic hand that's currently available, a hook. And only half the patients want that. The other half are content to have a rubber, non-functional hand because it's much more cosmetically acceptable than the hook. So the functionality that's provided is really just not satisfactory at all. And given that, uh, let's talk about what's happening now, thanks to your work through DARPA, with this modular mechanical arm. Well, when we set out to start this program over two years ago, we actually have created two parallel programs. They're synergistic, but they're, they have different goals. One is a two-year effort, one's a four-year effort. And the two-year effort was to develop a mechanical arm that was far, far superior than was currently available. So as I told you, there was all we have is a hook at the end of maybe an elbow that will bend, and that's it. There's no shoulder, just a bendable elbow and, and, and a hook that will open and close. We wanted to go way beyond that. We wanted you to have, be able to provide to patients a shoulder that is powered if they should need it, an elbow that's powered if they should need it, a wrist that is powered if they should need it, and a five-fingered hand. Because at the end of the day, the functionality that we think about with our upper extremity is centered around a five-fingered hand. And so we wanted a five-fingered hand to do the grips that we all use for, to do our activities of daily living. So we wanted at the end of two years to have such an arm ready for patients to use. That's what we wanted. However, the strategy to control that arm would be what we call non-invasive. In other words, it require no surgery whatsoever. A soldier, a wounded soldier, would simply, as we like to call it, strap and go. In other words, you would just strap it on, and then you would just go. The control of it would be local control, some intuitive control, maybe some switches that you'd be activated with the foot or the other arm. The four-year arm is really a bold thrust into really what you and I would call the 21st century. There's now getting an prosthetic arm that would be directly controlled by the patient's intent. That is through their nervous system. The same way you and I control our arms through our brain, our spinal cord, and our nerves, now, in fact, we would use a strategy just like that to provide us with a hand that would respond to the patient's own will, their own thoughts. And so what would that do? That would dramatically increase the functionality of that hand. When a concert pianist plays the piano, he's not consciously thinking about moving his fingers up and down. He's playing notes. And that's the point. We want to change it, the paradigm, from opening and closing the hand, flexing, extending the wrist, to actually doing the function, the way you and I move our arm. But to do that, you'd have to tap into the incredible control capabilities, really, of the patient's brain. And that's what the four-year 
project is centered around. So two parallel projects, but two obviously very different approaches. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Strength to Heal, brought to you by the United States Army on Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. John Armstrong, and our guest is Colonel and Dr. Jeffrey Ling. We are discussing revolutionary prosthetic arms. And Dr. Ling, what are some of the particulars with regard to the neurally controlled prosthesis? How does such a prosthesis interface with, with the brain and with the limb? Well, the way that you would do that is you were going to take advantage of the patient's own capabilities vis-a-vis their nervous system. So what we would do is develop, what we have developed, I should say, a cortical interface device. That is a very, very small device, smaller than a dime, right? It's flat, it's round, but it has some electrodes, and what you do is you place that on the surface of the patient's brain, the electrodes actually go into the area of the brain that that controls a motor movement of the arm, and what you then do is you record these brain signals, as it were, directly at the site, and then the cortical interface device sends that signal to a microprocessor, a computer, and that computer then translates it into arm movements, and it does so wirelessly. So we place this little device in the surface of the brain. And then wirelessly it communicates with the microprocessor that's built into the mechanical arm, prosthetic arm itself. And then so when the patient actually thinks about moving their arm, the mechanical arm moves. When it thinks about opening and closing its hand, the mechanical hand opens and closes. We also want to have a peripheral nerve interface device, which we've developed. And the idea there is that we can actually take advantage of some of the signals that naturally course through the brain down the spinal cord and out the nerves and use those also as a potential contribution to the strategy of of movement, and it's also a way for us to put sensory signals back into the brain, because you want to send it through a peripheral nerve if you can, because of all the subcortical or pre-brain processing that goes on, so that when you and I sense touch, for example, it really feels like touch, but there's a lot of processing that goes on before we actually reaches up to the conscious brain, as it were. And so by going through the peripheral nerve, that in a way will take advantage of the body's own natural capabilities to do that. So it requires then a interface, what we call a cortical interface device at the brain level, and a peripheral interface device, a PID, at the peripheral nerve level. Now, where are we with that? Because we're at the end of two years of research. We're already in the primate subjects. Primate subjects now have some of these devices implanted, and they are actually running some of the mechanical prosthetics arms. And we actually have evidence that this works very nicely. And, and recently, I think some of the listeners may have heard about the work of Dr. Andy Schwartz at the University of Pittsburgh. Well, I'm happy to say that Dr. Schwartz is, in fact, one of our DARPA performers on this program. And so in collaboration with the NIH, Dr. Schwartz has been supported enough to do exactly what we just said. He's actually already got some of these devices implanted into monkeys, and these monkeys are actually able to control a prosthetic arm to the point where they can actually feed themselves. So it already shows that this is, in fact, a reality. This is not science fiction. We have been talking with a visionary leader and medical researcher, Colonel and Dr. Jeffrey Ling with the United States Army. Colonel Ling, thank you very much for being our guest. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Armstrong. Thank you for listening to The Strength to Heal on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The Strength to Heal is brought to you by the United States Army Medical Department, AMED. For more information on this or any other program and to access our on-demand features, please visit us at ReachMD.com. 
For more information regarding Army medicine, go to healthcare.goarmy.com slash heal to learn more. When we talked to Captain Ernesto Cardenas, an OBGYN in the Army Medical Corps, we asked him why he chose the Army for his practice. His answer surprised us. He didn't talk about being given an established practice or not having to worry about insurance, employees, or rent. He didn't say that he enjoyed having the most advanced technology at his disposal or being a member of one of the world's largest healthcare systems. Captain Cardenas talked about giving back to the country that had given him so much. He went on to tell us about practicing in a humanitarian mission to his native Colombia and the sense of pride he felt in providing free care to people in need there. A medical career in the U.S. Army or Army Reserve is rewarding on many levels, personal and professional. You can reward your career, your country, and your life for a lifetime. Exercise your strength to heal. Visit healthcare.goarmy.com heal to learn more. That's healthcare.goarmy.com heal.